Well, men, welcome to the Nobleman Podcast. Uh, I am excited to have with me uh, Brian Doyle. Brian has been a friend in ministry. My first encounter with him would have been 2004 at the NCMM conference in Washington, D.C. And uh, so we have um, labored in ministry together, and I have learned much from these brother from this brother over these years. And so, Brian, welcome to the Nobleman Podcast. Hey, great to be with you, Mike. Great to be on the podcast. So uh, you are the founder and the the national director for the Iron Sharpens Iron Men's Conference Network. Now that's a mouthful, but that all had its origins in some pathways that took you through navigators and promise keepers and visioning. So, so tell your story about how you got to where you are in men's discipleship and why this is God's clear calling on your life. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So uh, the network is a result of a DNA that God planted in me through the ministry of the navigators. I call it a reproducing DNA. It's not a building, expanding DNA is never my intention to build an organization. My intention was to reproduce my life. And that's been in my DNA from the very beginning in the late 70s when someone reproduced their life into me. I thought it was quite normal at the time, and so I learned to do it. It was the only model I had, and I began to share my faith and see men come to faith in Christ and help them grow and mature and then do the same, share their faith and help men grow in Christ and do the same, and it became a reproducing ministry. Uh, That's the blessing of my navigator background. Uh, I recognize as I left college and that environment and then went into the work world and uh, was involved in local church, that local churches typically, including my local church, that this was not a strong suit. Uh, they did not have a DNA of reproducing. In fact, they didn't do very well with men. What I experienced in a, in a navigator environment, both in the military and in the collegiate, is that uh, there was a, a missional community, a real camaraderie, an unusual camaraderie among men, almost like when you're on a sports team yeah. and you want to win a game and you're you're all in and you cheer for one another and you pray for one another, you encourage one another, you're you're locking arms with one another. And you know, as a, I was in my 20s in that time, it really worked for me. Uh, but then I got involved in my local church and I was looking for that same thing. I was looking, my eyes were wide open, my ears were open. I began to ask questions and I found that that didn't exist. And it wasn't my church in particular, no intention to beat my church beat my church up. I really had some great friends there, but it wasn't much of a missional community. And then in the uh, early mid-90s, Promise Keepers came on the scene where God was doing something uh, quite unusual in Colorado with a football coach, you know, back to sports metaphor, back to all in, back to missional community, back to winning the game and all that went with it. And, Coach Bill McCartney was part of God raising up for a fourth season, a very unusual ministry with a a ton of favor from God. And I got to be part of that in the 90s. And I got to see a little bit of that that men's ministry from the college military days. I got to see it played out now among adult men for my first time. I got to see what happened when adult men uh, came to a place in their walk with God where they were all in. They were fully devoted Christ followers. And I got to see, Mike, what happened in all their influences, all their relationships, their marriages, how their marriages 
might have been going in one direction, but when the men went all in and became fully devoted to Christ, their marriages changed. Right. Maybe not overnight, but pretty quick. Uh, I got to see how uh, God would stir the heart of men who are now fully committed Christ followers to invest deep into their kids and to take personal responsibility for their kids, not willing to give it away even to professionals anymore, but to take responsibility and to personally disciple their kids. I got to see uh, local churches begin to develop pockets of ministry where guys who were all in uh, began to reach out to other men and to, in the, in, under the umbrella of brotherhood, uh, begin to bring them in, develop entry points in their own church where guys could uh, be exposed to other men and experience what we call iron sharpens iron, where uh, guys were cheering one another on, encouraging one another, building one another up. And and then, you know, the Promise Keeper season faded. Well, let, let me ask you a question, because yeah. Promise Keepers, most people think about the stadium events. Yeah. And you are not talking much about the stadium event. You're talking about the other stuff that's happening beyond the stadium. So this is almost the invisible ministry of promise keepers. And, and yeah. so you were seeing that. That's, uh, that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. Yeah, I, uh, my responsibility for promise keepers was I was their staff representative for the uh, Northeast. And uh, promise keepers was a little nervous about the Northeast because the Northeast is relatively unchurched compared to other parts of the country. So they weren't really willing to come. I kind of felt like uh, maybe their ministry was more in the Bible Belt or the Heartland area. So they finally did come uh, like 1999. But at that point, I had been spending years, literally five years, full time, who knows how many hours a week, traveling all over the Northeast, speaking, encouraging, uh, helping pastors and leaders to create their own men's ministry in their own church. Yeah. They didn't need to go to a stadium event. Sometimes they did go to a stadium event. But frankly, the stadium event, stadium event, that came and go pretty quick. Yeah. And it might be, be building momentum, but maybe not that much. But ultimately, it's what happened in the local church that really made the difference. And so uh, anytime you can help a local church leader have a little bit of success in an area where he's had little to no success, you know, he begins to maybe look at men differently. And that was what that continues to be really my heartbeat is to help leaders in local churches to see men differently, see them as God sees them, see them as God designed them. Really nothing more than that, but certainly nothing less. Wow. So you were doing that in New England. And you said that the so Promise Keepers had a season. As that season came to a close, then that puts you in a different season. Yeah, so I we started ministry Iron of Iron Shepherds Iron, and to uh, to you know Promise Keepers was extremely helpful. Uh, so in January of 2000, we started what we called uh, Vision New England Men's Ministries. We started what's now Iron Shepherds Iron. We took uh, I took because it was just me. Yeah. <laughs> the part-time secretary, the, uh, we took a little bit of the Promise Keeper Stadium event, the what PK taught us about masculine context and, and how ministry to men is different when it's men only. You can do a lot with men on Sunday morning. You can do a lot in cell groups and small groups, but you can do a lot more when occasionally you put them in a context and environment where it's just men. 
their guard tends to drop. Right. They tend to be more honest and transparent and vulnerable. They tend to go places they don't normally go in mixed company with women, youth, children. And so at some point, every church has got to figure this out and create a time and a place where men can gather. And then you speak to the men. How you speak to men, this is critical. A lot of times, local churches will speak to men as endpoints, as people, individuals, not speak to them as portals. I use the word portal as leaders, as influencers, so that when uh, when your local church speaks to you, Mike, they speak to you, but they think of Stacy. Yeah. They think of your kids. They think of your neighbors. They think of your extended family. And so consequently, just with the tone of voice and the way they speak to you, you hear something different. Now, often you don't hear that on Sunday morning. Probably it's not going to land. You don't hear that necessarily in a cell group, small group, where you're working through maybe a Sunday school class. That's why every once in a while, local churches have to bring men together, and we have to speak to them differently. Wow. And uh, so that that became, so out of that, you, that mentality, that sort of thinking, you launched the Iron Sharpens Iron conferences in New England. At first, it was just what you were doing in New England, right? And then how did that turn into something that uh, has literally reached tens of thousands across the country through a network of of other ministries? Yeah, so what we did in New England, because what we were trying to do was, uh, this is before technology really kicked in, and so there wasn't any technology option. You know, I would visit people that I could drive to, and that was happening in New England. So we would do things in New England to serve New England churches. But then, and uh, this was back in 2006, one of the things I would do regularly in the summer, I would go to Bill Hybels and his Willow Creek Leadership Summit and went with one of my friends, Larry, if you remember Larry DePeace. We walked out at the end of that summit, Bill Hybels, who uh, I have great respect for, uh, said as he closed the conference, he said, if you have something that's working, you need to share it. Uh, so I walked out of that conference with my friend Larry. I go, well, much of what we're doing is barely working, but we do have one thing that really works. And I didn't really, I didn't really expect it to work. I didn't expect men to come to these conferences by the droves. I didn't expect churches to stop what they were doing and mobilize the men of their church. Now, obviously, we helped them, but I just didn't. My expectations were lower and and. God blew me out the door. And so all of a sudden, just in New England, we have seven, eight, nine, 10,000 men going to a conference in, in a relatively challenging part of the country. Sure. So I said, well, I do know friends. I have friends because like you mentioned, I meet you and at the NCMM and I've met friends over the years and I was blessed to be around other guys who had a heart and passion for men, a clear calling on their life for men. And I thought, Boy, so if there's anything I can do to help some of these guys to reach the their constituency, to reach their geographic area or their denominational alliances, whatever it might be, let's just let's just go out there. I didn't know what it was going to look like. Many times I'm not still sure if I know what it looks like, but the heart was to share, and this is part of the community, biblical missional community. If you have something's working, share it. Some people will jump on it. Some people won't, but for the people who will jump on it, you want to help them and help them succeed. And so that's what happened back in, oh, probably 15 years ago now. Yeah. You know, I, I want to 
pause here just a moment because what you're talking about, um, guys may think I can't relate to this because it's on such a big scale that it doesn't resonate with me. But let me let me speak to you fellas out there and remind you that if you are doing something that works with your family, works with your son, works with your wife, if you find some strategy that works, then find a context within which you can share what you're doing, what God is revealing to you with some other guys so that it can be multiplied. I mean, he's the one that multiplies this, and this is how God works. Sometimes he may multiply a conference ministry across the country, but the other thing that he might do is multiply an outreach ministry that you're using in your community to the neighborhood next door because you've shared it with another godly man. So be on the lookout for this opportunity to be part of what God is multiplying because God's math is about multiplication. It's not addition. Um, so I just see value in challenging you guys with this. Any comment on that, Brian? Well, again, back to Matthew 28, 1920, yeah. Jesus' strategy was just what you laid out, Mike. It was to multiply. It wasn't to add. Jesus could have spent his better part of three years doing a lot of rallies, doing conferences, you know, filling up stadiums if they had stadiums, but he chose not to do it. It wasn't because he wasn't in a very effective teacher. Yeah. He certainly was. It wasn't because he didn't know how to preach the word of God and bring people to a point of salvation. He clearly did that well. It wasn't because he was, wasn't doing miracles and people were more, all that stuff was happening all the time, but his focus, we have to remember this. There was a top agenda item in the ministry of Jesus, and it was multiplying his life into 12 men who could then do the same thing. And so now we do the math, 12 times 12 times 12, and boom, it doesn't happen immediately, but it happened pretty quick. And Jesus multiplied, so I gave the example, and his team multiplied, and that's what really we want to do. We don't need to do it with 12 guys or 3,000 people, but if we, like you said, Mike, we have a friend or two uh, that wants to grow in Christ, so this is part of co-laboring. One of the things that God's been teaching me over the years is to find out where I'm working and join me. So I'm looking for men. You've heard me use the term. You probably might use it as well. I, I didn't invent it. Who are fat, who are faithful, available, and teachable. Faithful, available, and teachable. So I'm always looking for guys who are faithful, available, and teachable. And then I invest time in them. Right. Until they, until they really, until they tell me, uh, go away. Yeah. <laughs> no more, which sometimes happens, but often, you know, how we invest our time, we want to, we want, we all, everyone le listening to this podcast, uh, we want to look for the men and the women, the boys and the girls who are hungry to grow in Christ and jump in with both feet and help them grow as much as we can. Yeah. And so that's a, that's an interesting scenario because some folks would hear that and say, well, what about what about the person who's not quite there? Does that mean we neglect or ignore some other folks? Um, so what's your response to that? I mean, we're, we're talking essentially about 2 Timothy 2.2 here. So, Right, and I agree. I, there's people in my life who are wonderful, and I love them, and I'd never, never, never want to treat people like projects. I want to keep in a relationship with them. But what I want to do, I want to co-labor with God. Yeah. And so God's at work, and some people are responding to God. So for those who right now, in this month, March of 2021, who are responding to God, I want to join him in that ministry. It could be, 
and I was certainly part of that. Uh, I went to church for years. I was involved, frankly, with the navigators for a number of months before I became a Christian. Yeah. I was on, kind of, I was keeping my distance. I was on the outside, kind of poking at it, poking at it, poking at it. And then God got my attention and boom, I was all in. And when I was all in, the blessing is I had a man there, Lee Twombly, who spent extensive time with me. And then he handed me off to another guy named Mike Renz, who spent extensive time with me. So I was fortunate that I had guys who were looking for someone who was faithful, who was available, and who was teachable. And when they found that guy, when they spotted him, when that guy made himself available, in this case, me, they were all in and they gave me as much as I could handle. Now, I, so in our podcast in January, our theme was why should we invest in men? And we're kind of flirting with that. So why, why is this so critical in the kingdom of God? Why is it critical for us to invest in men the way you're talking about? Well, it's not just critical. It's the most important ministry you could be doing. So I, oh, I, know I love you. Could you say that? What is the most important ministry that we could be doing through the local church, Brian Doyle? Yeah, the most important ministry we can be doing is investing in men. Yeah, and not, and I'm not saying it because it happens to be the thing I'm doing. I'm trying to see, I'm trying to see the world through God's eyes. Yeah, and I know a lot of time in church ministry, we we value everybody. Guess what? Everybody has infinite value. We're all image bearers, and yet we're different. We're equal, but we're different. Here's one of the differences. Uh, for 30 years, I was married to a sweet wife, Barb. We had five children. We might show up at a local church, maybe your local church. And you would see us, there's only two ways of seeing us. You see us as seven individuals, all image bearers, all created in the image of God, all equal in, uh, in worth, and you have something for every one of us. Now, who's going to really argue with that? Well, I would argue with it <laughs> because there's different. Yes, we're all equal. But there's one or two people there, uh, father and mother, who have responsibility for the other five people. And we need to begin to, uh, especially for the men, we, we need to begin to speak, train, and equip men with others in mind. And a lot of times what guys do, guys have this already stirring in their spirit. That's they right. know, They know what they know. These are my children. I'm responsible for them. But... They take them to school Monday through Friday. The school seems to take responsibility for them. They take them to church on Sunday. Eh, the church seems to take responsibility for them. They take them to sports. Eh, the coach seems to take responsibility for them. All of a sudden, that dad becomes like what I call a general contractor. You're, you're the guy with the construction background. That's right. What's a general contractor do? He writes checks. He finds the best people possible with limited expertise he puts them in connections and he writes some checks and then he takes responsibility for everything. Well, that might work in construction, but it doesn't work in disciple making. God intended dads and moms to disciple their children. He intended dads to be responsible. One of the reasons that men in general are not ambassadors for Christ all over the place, all over Virginia, all over New England, all over the United States is because they have yet to be ambassadors for Christ in their own home. And I know of no man who's an effective ambassador outside the home long-term who has not been an effective ambassador for Jesus Christ inside the home. So when we train men, manger build, everything else, yeah. when we train men to step into that role, 
and being an ambassador for Jesus Christ inside his home, we set him up for success outside the home because he's seen God work in the lives of the people he loves the most. Now we're going to propel and encourage him to be involved in the people that he knows he's supposed to love and he's trying to get a heart for him. But now it's a different type of equipping. But there is there is order. There's sequence in God's world. Sequences build the man, build the family, build the community and the church. It's huge. I it, I will speak to that. Just a. I often ask pastors if they are using and preaching in such a way that a father could go home and teach and expand upon his message at the kitchen table. I call it kitchen table theology. And if a man can't lead his family in understanding, unpacking of biblical principles at the kitchen table, then we aren't equipping that guy. We aren't helping him. If, if, if it's so high in the sky that uh, it doesn't reach him there, then we're not helping him to win at home to invest in his kids. And again, we're back to this multiplying the impact of the kingdom right there in their homes. Now, you're, you've touched on why we should invest in men. And, and now, so that in February, I did, what are men looking for? And you've already kind of spoken to this. I think um, that this desire, this understanding of responsibility is kind of written on the hearts of men where they know I'm supposed to do something and they're struggling with exactly what that looks like and how to do it. And so we can step into that. Speak to that um, that desire that a lot of men have trouble even articulating where they understand that God expects them to do something, but they're lost in exactly what that is or how to do it. I, I, I agree. I think, men, there is something because the Holy Spirit is uh, stirring a man's heart. I mean, uh, I'm just going to talk about family life, home life. Uh, husbands and fathers love their family. You don't have to train them. I mean, we do say train, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Yes, that's good. But guess what? The guy already loves his wife. He already loves his kids. You don't have to train a kid. You know that kid? That's your child. You should love that kid. Oh, good point. You know, no, he already loves them. That, that box has been checked. Now, what does it look like? Now, unfortunately, what happens when that dad, uh, when a husband brings his family to church, the church inadvertently, accidentally, not intentionally, takes the pressure off the man and says, hey, good job. You got your family here. Guess what? We're a church for everybody in your family. And you know, we've got something for every member of your family. You have really nailed it by, by connecting to our church. Uh, you can relax now a little bit because we've got professionals who have been trained to do specific niche ministry for each member of your family. And you probably really don't have that training. You're, you're an accountant. You're very good at it. You're a CPA. You know, you've got whatever it is. You know what a professional is. Well, actually, we are the professionals here at the church. So relax. Make sure your family connects to us and go ahead and uh, work on your hobby or whatever you're called to do. Now, actually, nobody really says that. But communication is not what you say. Communication is what the person hears. Right. And, I'm, and I am here to tell you um, in March of 2021, that is what men hear. 90 plus percent of men here, when they show up at the church, they hear a word of congratulations. You've brought your family here and we will take it from this point on. 
that's not a good thing. We, we've got, I don't want to blow up children's ministry. I don't want to blow up youth ministry. I don't want to blow up women's ministry. I hope they continue to thrive. I want my local church to have world-class women's, children's, and youth ministry. But that's not where it's really going to happen. Those are all complementary ministries. So what is designed to happen, back to God's design, what is designed to happen in the home. Now, homes are broken. Uh, men are missing. There's, you know, guys are not coming to faith. Yes, those are things we need to be vigilant about and go after. And that's why we've got small groups and mentors and men's ministry. But we don't blow the whole thing up because there's an element of families that are broken. We still want to focus on God's design and make that the top priority. We've got to do that. Now, it sounds like, and sometimes I struggle with this, it sounds like we're, we're could be beating up on the pastor. And that's not really what we're doing. We're just asking them to, to look at things a little bit differently, to see things differently. What would you say to the pastor? You have these conversations all the time with pastors in local churches. How do you encourage or help a pastor to see things this way in, um, in a helpful and winsome way? Because ultimately we have to be winsome in the way that right. we present this challenge to guys. I do, I do want to be winsome. Uh, it's not my gift, though. So I'm growing, though. I'm growing. I'm more winsome than I used to be. Uh, I'm trying to be great. Here's one way I'm trying Brian to Brian the winsome. I think we'll call you that from now on, Brian the winsome. Yeah, yeah maybe if you speak it out there, it'll happen. I'm not sure. Uh, so, you know, in a creative way and hope, hopefully a winsome way, I might go to someone like you and say that, uh, hey, what do your numbers look like on Sunday? And pastors, they like to talk about their church ministry. And they'll give me a number. Let's say they give me a number. They say, yeah, we're, we're running about 500, Brian. It's pretty encouraged about what God's doing. And I'll go, that's great, 500. Now, is that 500 individuals or is that 500 households? And typically a pastor will go, uh, what? <laughs> and, and they will say, oh, that's people, that's individuals. I go, okay, that's, that's good. Okay, hey, how many households? are represented in that 500 individuals. And I don't say it, I say it with a genuineness because I really wanna know. And the pastor will come up with some number or he'll say, I'm not sure. And let's say he says 150. I'll say, okay, 150. And then I'll pursue that a little bit. And I'll say, well, what do your households look like? Uh, what's the typical household of your church? Because here's what I found, and this is important. When a pastor, when a leader, when an elder, when a deacon, when a church leader begins to see his constituency, remember, shepherd God's flock that's under your care. Most pastors want to care for everybody, yeah. all 500. If, you, if I ask that same pastor, how many of those 500 are you responsible for? He would typically say, well, everybody. I'd go, okay. Uh, and then back to the household conversation, I'm bringing my wife. I got five kids. How many of those people are you directly responsible for? And that's where, that's the kind of conversation I want to have with church leaders. I want them to be thinking through, are they really responsible for 10-year-olds whose mom and dad are regular church attenders, maybe leaders in the church? The reality is they know they're not. There's some indirect responsibility. You want to have a church that's healthy, but the direct responsibility would be for guys like Mike Young and Brian Doyle and other people, those are the only males. So for instance, when, I, when, when we talk about Stacy Young, mm -hmm. 
There's only one man on the planet that's responsible for the spiritual life of Stacy, and that would not be the pastor. Right. That would not be the elder, the deacon. That would not be your. It would be you, Mike. Now, what's the responsibility of the pastor, the elder, the deacon? Is to equip and to encourage Mike in the role that God's given him. Same with the kids. You know, with our kids. Well, who's responsible for these kids? Is it the children's ministry director? Is it the you know, youth minister? No, those are all great guys who are probably having a positive impact on our kids. But God will not hold them responsible for the spiritual life of their kids. He'll hold them responsible for the faithfulness they have in their overall ministry. But as far as the responsibility, that's only you and that's only our wives that will have that responsibility. So that's the kind of winsome, hopefully, yeah. with a smile on my face <laughs> that we'll have that we'll have those kind. Those are conversations because when we see the church as households, men rise to the top. Exactly. And and that is completely biblical. You don't have to get but three chapters into the word of God to see a very clear picture of the sin in the garden when Eve responded to the serpent's invitation to eat the fruit, God went looking for Adam because he was the responsible party. You don't have to go far in the Word to see God's design, God's order in that, and somehow we skip over that part and we believe that the church should minister with responsibility to everyone. So huge paradigm shift there, or, or just something for thoughtful uh, meditation. Well, I think one of the things to think about, Mike, is well, why did this happen? Why, why is that happening? First of all, it's not happening everywhere. Yeah, We're Americans, so we kind of know what's happening in America, American Christianity. It's not happening everywhere. But in America, we've tended to create our church model a little bit like the rest of our life. Yeah. I mentioned this earlier. I mean, you know, we if you have children, you know, they go, they go to school and, you know, and you have educators and you kind of, you know, the school says show up at 830, you show up at 830. The school says do homework, you do homework. The churches, the school can be a blessing. Kids can learn and thrive and be engaged and build community and do all kinds of develop and grow. And it's just really good. And then we take that model, which for the most part is a pretty healthy, can be really healthy, successful model. And we bring it to the weekend and we walk on the church campus, we go, the, the constituent is asking, okay, where is it? Where's that model that we are familiar with, that we're comfortable with, that age appropriate? Because little Johnny, age six, you know, he's stirring a little bit during the sermon, which would make sense. What can we do for Johnny? All of a sudden we've taken that boom and we've created an age divided, you know, Sunday morning service. We've also know that there's a lot of kids that you know, don't have Christian parents. They don't have dads like Mike right. Young and dads like Brian Doe. What do we do with those kids? Well, we want to create youth ministry so that it can be outreach oriented. By the way, youth ministry was created all about outreach. It wasn't created about any kind of fellowship. It wasn't created to have a healthy fellowship with other like-minded uh, young people. It was created to reach lost kids who were not involved in church life, who mm -hmm. did not know Jesus, and give them an opportunity to be exposed to Christ and hear the message of the gospel. But what's happened is that what, what, what started off as strictly outreach has now become entertainment. Inreach. Yeah. And we're, we, we now bring our kids, we get them involved in youth ministry, and we think that everything's going to work out okay. 
And we're really disappointed when it doesn't. Well, it wasn't intended. Even in our churches, we didn't intend it to be a discipleship program. It was supposed to be a compliment. It was supposed to be something a little bit special, a little bit extra, so that our kids could bring the kids from the neighborhood whose parents weren't Christ followers to a place where they could hear the message of the gospel and turn to Christ. So we talked about a lot of different pieces of this, but the church today, how can the church truly move from where they are to reach men with a compelling vision of leading this way, investing in their families? What does it take? What are you seeing that's working? Maybe talk about some things that aren't working as well. I don't know, but what what does it take for a church to be successful in reaching men and casting this vision and then seeing them live that out in a way that honors King Jesus and um, truly disciples their family? Well, I'm going to go back to the beginning of our conversation. You know, it's about reproducing. It's not about adding. It's about discipling people. It's not just about inviting people to church. It's about, it's about working in tandem with God, finding out where God's working, enjoying him. And that means as a church leader, I'm looking for who's ready for more. Yeah. Who are the men in my Christian community called the local church that would like to be part of something a little bit more substantial? Who are the men who are faithful, who will come, who are available, who will create margin in their life, and who are teachable, who say, I'd like to learn how to do that. I need to pursue those men. That's not going to be everyone. But what I would recommend is we set the bar a little bit higher, not a little bit lower. We'd raise the bar a little bit higher, and we'd look for guys who are ready right now, not next year. Next year, there'll be a new set of guys who are ready. But let's start with the guys who are ready right now, March of 2021, and let's run hard with them. Let's help them to, first of all, spend time with God, build into their own marriage, uh, encourage their kids, take responsibility for their kids, and then help those guys be the kind of like role models for others as well. Yeah. So I know that um, we, in our conversation, talked about the conference model and the impact of that. How can so many churches are event driven? How do we take an experience like taking a group of guys to an Iron Sharpens Iron Men's Conference or here in Virginia, there's the Ignite Men's Conference. There, there are many events like this that could take place. How do we leverage those sorts of experiences for men to help find the guys who are ready to take the next step so that we can move forward with them? What, is, what does it look like to, to capitalize on that sort of ministry so that we can move to the next level? Yeah, well, I think uh, what Noble Warriors is doing is a very good job that Noble Warriors is focused on local churches, not just on men. I mean, there's two ways in general of doing conference ministry is trying to get individuals to come or trying to get churches to come. Yeah, it's, it's a parallel to what we talked about in church ministry, seeing the people as individuals or seeing them as households. We, you, me, other ISI type ministries, we see the constituency as churches. The churches are responsible, not me, not you. They're responsible to disciple their people. So what we do, we continue to do, we work hard at this, is encourage churches to gather their men, encourage their men, mobilize their men, bring their men to a conference, and then help them to follow through with their men because it's their men. The men might feel like individuals, 
but they, you, you watch them, they travel together, they sit together, they process together, they eat lunch together, they're set up. The conference ministry helps set them up for next week, the week after next month. And so that's where, you know, the resources that we've enjoyed over the years of men's fraternity and, you know, 33 and different things, all are plug and play. Just make sure that you take that conference ministry and you don't, you have something that follows through on it immediately. Yeah. And ultimately, I know you'll agree with it. Ultimately, we want to move a guy, see a guy move through a process at the Holy Spirit's leading so that he begins to engage the Word of God himself personally, to be fed, uh, to find his spiritual nourishment there, and then out of the overflow of that, be able to lead and teach and and disciple his family. So this is all a process. It's a strategic process uh, that requires some thoughtful engagement, much more than just putting a date on a calendar that we're going to do an event. And uh, so I think you and I kind of live in this same world where, you know, we'll have, I, I don't mind going and speaking at things and doing all sorts of activities with guys, but I think the real win is to be able to sit down and have a strategic conversation with a pastor or a leadership team at a local church about how are we going to make men a priority and how are we going to actually move the needle with the men in our church. you agree with that? Well said. And I think just you know, reiterate what we said a couple of different times. It's not just about the men. It's, I mean, a lot of times uh, we, the reason we've kind of pulled back or haven't made men the priority, we don't see men as the influence and influencers and leaders. We see them it's just individuals. We have to see them as God sees them. God created Mike Young as the husband of Stacy and the father of their children. And, and until we step into that and speak to men uh, like Mike and equip men like Mike and to build men like Mike with others in mind, then Mike would not really feel valued. And he'll look for other ways to live a significant life, usually outside of the church. Yeah, could be sports or finances, could any of those things, recreation. So, and that's what a lot of our culture is turning to. Well, I, I in the interest of time, I, I want to kind of bring this to some closure. Brian, what are some resources or information, some final thoughts that you would share? Any any recommendations for the folks who would be listening here today? I know that. Uh, Gosh, what is the book that just, it's a classic that, um, The Measure of a Man. I, I love that book, Mike. And I, a couple of reasons I love it is, let, let's listen to the title, The Measure of a Man. I, I love the fact that God in his word, specifically 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, lists 20 different measurables of manhood. Yeah. You know, a lot of times I'll ask guys, I'll ask myself, how am I doing? I'll ask guys at church, so how are you doing in your walk with God? How's it going with the Lord? And they'll look at me with kind of like a blank stare, like, how would I possibly know how I'm doing? I mean, what do you ask me about my bank account? Maybe I'll let you in on that. Ask me how it's going with my wife. Maybe I'll let you in on that. Ask me some quantifiable questions about maybe my career, my golf game. I'll give you my handicap. <laughs> But how am I doing with the Lord? How would I possibly know? I'm here. I'm at church. I'm doing my, I'm showing up. Isn't that what God wants me to do? And yet God in his word gives us measurables. Yeah. And I yeah. want the church 
to uh, take men through these measurables. And they're not all being about being pastors and missionaries. They're about character qualities, That's about right. things that every, there are every man things. They're not just for leaders, by the way. Yes, leaders have nailed most of these. But how do you get to that, be that point? Well, you get to that point by being intentional and purposeful and growing in Christ in these measurables. So I, I do love the measure of a man. I do love those passages. I do love the fact that every man in the local church who has new life in Christ uh, has measurables that God has given them. And they're right there in the, the epistles. Yeah. Great resource. Well, listen, I know you've got another uh, appointment that you've got to get to. And uh, I, boy, we could go on for hours here, I believe. We'll have to do this again. But Brian, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your encouragement to me. Um, I didn't include this in, at the beginning of this. Uh, some of you, if you go back, um, one of the early episodes, I kind of tell the story of the founding of Noble Warriors. And I was searching for what God wanted me to do next. And um, by God's providence, uh, landed at an NCMM conference in Washington, D.C. in October, I believe, of 2004. And Brian Doyle said from the stage, I'd never met him before, but he said from the stage, I'd like to think there'd be 100 more full-time men's ministry leaders in the country in the coming year. And I realized at that point that that was God speaking through Brian Doyle to my heart. And I, I don't know if you recall this, but I came up, as I recall, shook your hand, and I said, Brian, I'm Mike Young. I, I know you don't know me, and I don't know where there are 99 other guys, but I'll be in full-time men's ministry within a year. And that was the origin of Noble Warriors. So uh, you've, you've been leading and encouraging and investing in me for a long time, and I'm thankful for that, brother. Well, thank you, Lord, for Mike. Uh, thank you for Stacy, who's been right by his side. Thank you for the kids who have been part of this adventure. Thanks for Todd and others and Lori that are locking arms together uh, to equip churches throughout Virginia to focus on men, not just for the sake of men, uh, but for their marriages, for their families, for their neighbors, for their workplace and marketplace, and to advance the kingdom of God. And so I pray today for your unmerited favor on this man, his family, and this ministry. Would you do far more and we could even begin to pray and ask or think. Please hear our prayer now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, and thank you, brother. With that, guys, we're going to close this out. Uh, Brian, again, thank you so much. And, fellas, thank you for joining us for the Nobleman Podcast, talking about how do we reach men. We'll be back next week with another interview, talking with another national leader about how we reach men to disciple them, to follow Jesus well, and then lead their families according to his plan and his wisdom. So we'll look forward to catching up with you next week. God bless you, men.